And on 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, welcome to Pastor Samuel and Alida Robinson from A Reasonable Christianity. You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice. And we're here again with uh, Samuel Chisichetti from Ark Church and Alida Robinson. And we've been having a really, really great discussion over the last, well, several weeks um, the, about the God question, Samuel. Yes. And it's been very exciting because uh, you've gone and um, and opened up a Pandora's box of all sorts of interesting arguments. Yes. We've looked at the cosmological argument, the Kalam as part of that cosmological argument, and the Libanites. Mm-hmm. And then we've looked at the moral argument and the design argument. Yes. Now, obviously, you have uh, a lot more that you can share in your bo- box of arguments. <laughs> so I'm really interested to see what you're going to drag out today and, uh, and excite us about the God question. So let's dive in and see what happens. <laughs> that is so funny. Um, yes, indeed. Um, you know, we, yeah, I was, uh, you know, I always say that the God question is the question. If there is no God, then your world will, uh, will be organized very, very differently. Yes. And so every person must always think about the God question. And so, you know, in, in, in some, somewhere around the Renaissance and, um, you know, the 16th, 17th, 18th century, you start to have some arguments uh, presented by some of Western intellectuals who started to degrade the question itself, to say, well, you know, the God question is a non-question. It shouldn't be asked. Uh, or the God question is a childish question. Or mm-hmm. it's a, an unintelligent question. And so and that, that so those kind of arguments is being carried on all the way to today by even by people like Richard Dawkins, you know, who think, well, look, it's, it's a stupid question. Well, no, it's actually the question. It's the question, yes. Yes. Once you remove God from your world, any world, if you can't answer the God question, then your world will look in a certain way. It will just change your world. And unfortunately, the church bought into that. People leaned very hard on just what you feel, your relationship with Jesus. And so you just need not to engage intellectually with the question. Mm. Anti-intellectualism became a modus of operandi in the church. You know, one of the things that I've found the most difficult when communicating with all the believers, generally across the board, unless it's somebody who's, you know, sort of gotten themselves into apologetics and something like that, they think, well, why do we have to be all intellectual about this? You know, it's all about the heart. Mm. Well, yes, I know it's all about the heart. But Jesus, when he was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? Guess what? Mark chapter 12, 28, 29, 30, he said, Shema Israel and Adonai Elohenu, or Adonai Elohekai, depending, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Ehad. Then he wanted to say, which is, Hero Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. Then he goes to say, Love the Lord your God mm. with all your heart. Okay, I'm happy with that. Yep. With all your strength, that's like your physical, you know, everything you've got in your flesh, in your body. And with all your mind, he said. So mm. with your intelligence too. Yeah. You cannot say you love God without engaging God intellectually. You must be able to engage him intellectually. It is the reason why most people who are atheists right now feel or at least think that they're superior intellectually to the Christians. You know, I was at uni once and, and a friend after having heard me talk about, 
you know, God, he said, he, he exclaimed, he said, Samuel, you can't possibly be a Christian. Well, this is not just to give me myself, myself a pat on the back, but this is a true story. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean I can't be a Christian? He said, well, you're a smart guy. Think about the implication of what he's just said. In other words, smart guys can't be Christians. Mm. And I asked him, where did you get that from? Well, he said, well, there are a lot of people that I know are Christians that don't think like you. So you must just be, you know, he said you are committing what is, um, what is called no, no true Scotsman uh, uh, fallacy, which <laughs> it, means, it means, you know, you present uh, a, something that should be in a certain way. You change the way it's presented to try to justify it, even though its true nature is that one. Okay. So in other words, he was trying to say, Christianity is dumb, and you're a smart guy. you just simply, you know, you know, mixing it with all those smartness to try to convince me that Christianity is, is a smart religion. Now mm. I don't buy this. Yeah. So he did deny that I was talking to him about, about it in an intelligent way. He just said, believe that Christianity was just an unsmart religion. Mm. Where did he get it from? Yeah. Many Christians who always say, well, don't think too hard. People used to say to me when I, when I, when I, you know, I came back to Christ in my uh, 20s, um, you know, I, one of my leaders used to say, Samuel, you don't have to, you know, think too hard about this. Don't overthink this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, in other words, turn your brain off. Mm. Well, guess what? Let me tell you, Jesus never said turn it off. No. He said love God with it. Mm. And so it's actually, J.P. Molland has written a book, say, which, which is titled, Love the Lord Your God With Your Mind. Mm. Oh, you want to read that book. J.P. Molland is amazing. So we've got to love God with our intelligence. And here's another anecdotal story. I was sharing with somebody who, who had said to me that, oh, look, you know, people who believe in religion are superstitious, non-intelligent people. So I said, I'm going to give you an argument. And you tell me. Uh, whether this is unsmart and if you can if you can basically dismantle it. And I gave them the argument I'm going to give today, which is the ontological argument. Okay. Remember you said we've gone with, through the family of the cosmologicals, yep. Kalam and the Leibnizian, and we've done a moral argument, we've done the design argument, yep. and now we're looking at the ontological argument. So mm. I gave him the ontological argument. It's a, it's a big word. I'll give you the definition of ontological in a moment. So I gave him the ontological argument. By the time I finish, it's like, why does he have it to be that difficult? <laughs> I'm like, you can't have it both ways. You yeah. can't say it's a religion of an intelligent people, and now they've given you an argument that is intelligent, like why does it have to be too intelligent? Mm. You can't have it both ways. No. So today, therefore, we're going to look at the ontological argument, and the word ontological comes from the word ontology, O-N-T-O-L-O-G-Y, ontology. It means the branch of metaphysics dealing with the nature of being. Right. Okay. God yep. is a being. Yep. And we want to deal with the nature of God if he exists. So I'm going to give you, this is going to have at least five to six premises of statements. And each one of these are true, the conclusion will follow. Okay. All right, let's go. Number one, it is possible that God exists. Right. Very benign. Yep. Right. It is possible God exists. So, unless somebody is happy to say, well, it is impossible for God to exist, we'll look at that. Uh, premise one, it is possible that God exists. Premise two, if God, if it is possible that God exists, then God exists in some possible world. Right. All right? Yep. If it's possible that he exists yep. in some possible world, it exists there. Yep. Okay. Number two, number three, if God exists in some possible world, then God exists in all possible worlds. 
Number four, if God exists in all possible worlds, then God exists in the actual world. Because the actual world is one of the possible worlds. Yes. And if God exists in the actual world, then God exists. Right. Now, all I'm defending is if it is possible that God exists, then God exists. Yes. This argument was propounded by a Benedictine monk, monk uh, who then became the, the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury. Oh. His name is St. Anselm. St. Anselm of Canterbury uh, is the man who, who, pro, who propounded this argument for the first time. And it's one of the most philosophical and intellectual to grasp. And it has been, uh, you know, presented in ma- many forms. And le- le- lately, uh, there's a gentleman called Alvin Plantinga. Uh, Alvin Plantinga has presented this particular model logic argument, the ontological, in a model form. And uh, William Lane Craig has also, you know, talked about it. Uh, in, so, so I'm giving you some of the, re- the pe- people's, you know, very smart Christian philosophers that you can go look for. You look for Alvin Plantinga, ontological argument, you'll find that. Or Bill Craig, or William Lane Craig is propound this, this argument. And so I want to sort of hold those five premises right now. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to come back and I'm going to go through each one of them. And that's going to be great. All right. Well, put your seatbelts on, guys. We're going to have a great discussion and continue on uh, finding out what the answer to the question is about does God exist after this break. Sometimes I fall to my knees and pray. Come, Jesus, come. Today be the day Sometimes I feel Like I'm gonna break But I'm holding on To a hope that won't fade Power of His name. 
So we're back talking the God question. And uh, Samuel, you've got a, um, a new thing that you're pulling out of your bag, <laughs> which is the ontological <laughs> argument. So we're all very excited to hear what you've got to say. <laughs> well, um, so let's then look at, uh, you know, this particular ontological argument. And I gave you five premises and let's start. The first thing I want to uh, to start explaining is the term possible world. Okay? You think, okay, what does he mean by if, if God exists, then he exists in some possible world? Okay. Uh, the term possible world is, uh, in philosophy, it's a, a hypothetical situation. It's, a, it's generally a way uh, for philosophers to test an idea to see if it is logically, it's log- if it's logical by asking, could this exist in a possible world like our own. Right. It might not exist here, but could there be a world 
in which this particular concept could exist or this particular thing could exist. So you're talking about an imaginary world or, or yeah. an alternate world or something. Yeah, not not really. If we say imaginary, it becomes a, it's it's sort of things that are within the realm of possibility. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Think about, for example, I can say it is it, it is possible that you could not have existed. Yeah. yeah. It's possible there are people right now who are who don't exist, and it's possible they could have existed in this world. This will become another possible world within which those people could have existed, but they don't. All right? And so when you say possible world, it means something that is within a realm of possibility. Like, let's say, you, you can imagine this, our world is the actual world, but if they, there could be a world within which a unicorn exists. Right. Okay? It'd be a world within which a unicorn exists. So then a unicorn would exist in some possible world. Because the idea of a unicorn is not incoherent, mm. right? Yeah. The idea of a unicorn is not incoherent. So the philosophers trying to find out, is this concept incoherent? So, and that's why they, they use the term possible world. Now, uh, let's look at, therefore, um, the, the second thing that I want to define, which I've done throughout this program as we've been doing, is the term God. Yes. This is one of the most now, you know, misunderstood, misdefined. Now, I, I did that from the very outset when we started. And and I did say that there were there are two ways things could exist. All right? Yep. Uh, things could exist necessarily and things could exist contingently. You right. remember that? Yes, I do. Today I'm going to add there are three ways things could be defined. Three ways entities could be defined. You can have impossible things, things that cannot exist. So an impossible thing is an entity that exists in no possible world. You know, where the concept of that thing existing is incoherent. I'll give you an example. A married bachelor. Okay. Yep. Okay. Mm. <laughs> a square with three sides. Mm. Or a square circle. Mm. You know, a triangle with two angles. Where the idea of a triangle is itself three angles. Yes. The idea of a square means it has four sides. Mm. So you can't get it. It's a it's an incoherent idea. And the idea of a bachelor is an unmarried person. Mm. So no married bachelor exists in any possible world. Does that make sense? Yep, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> so slowly we're getting there. Now, yep. so that is one way. So identity can be defined as incoherent. The second way is entity can be defined as contingent. Their existence depends on something else. Yes. Okay, which I'd explained earlier. Therefore, an entity you know, is defined as contingent when it is an entity that exists in some possible world. Mm. So, contingent uh, existence happens in some possible world. Like the unicorn, we might mm. not have it in this actual world, but it's not an incoherent thought that a unicorn... You know that sort of horse looking like with the with the horn little, at the front. I think everybody knows what a unicorn <laughs> is. <laughs> exists in some possible world. Yeah. Then the third way of existence is necessary. An entity exists ne- exists necessarily if it exists in all possible worlds. Mm. Things like numbers, for example. I mm. said they are necessity, uh, absolute truths, things like shapes. You know, a square. Mm. A square would exist in every possible world, okay? A circle. Shapes and math- mathematical sets, you know, are necessary things. They exist in every possible world. 
And so in that sense, I want you to remember when we say God, we the definition of God, I don't know if you remember, when we started out, I defined, removed misconception, and then set the methodology. That was our first, first, when we started answering the question. Weeks and weeks ago. Yes. yes. So we say that God is a being that exists by the necessity of his own nature. Mm. So exists necessarily. So God is a necessary being. So something exists necessarily is something that cannot be false or that can uh, that can or cannot fail to exist. Something that cannot fail to exist in any possible world. So if something exists necessarily, like squares and, and mathematical sets and numbers, they exist in all possible world mm. because they exist necessarily. And God is the greatest conceivable being, the necessary being, and by that definition, who exists in every possible world. Yes. And we already established that, basically, didn't right. we? <laughs> so, and to, to, to reiterate again, God is a maximally great being. Mm. God is the greatest conceivable being, the necessary being, the most perfect being, and the maximally great being. Mm. When, in, when you ask a Christian, what's God? They might even, the, the, you know, the lay Christian who goes to church might not know the definition, but when they say God, that's what they mean. If you dig, they will tell you, yeah, the creator of the universe, you know, the God who made everything, time, space, and matter, you know, and, and, and that, that's what they mean. He's necessary. Yeah. He's the greatest. He's perfect. You know, that, every Christian believes that. Yes. So, as a necessary being, God is a being that exists in every possible world. Mm. All right. So, if God is a maximally great being, by definition, this is a, it's a philosophical argument. By the, we're dealing with definitions and terminologies here. And by definition, a maximally great being will possess what is called a great-making property. Right. Great making properties are all qualities that are better to have. Mm -hmm. And if anybody didn't have those, they wouldn't be great. Think, for example, necessity. Something that exists by the necessity of its nature is not contingent. doesn't depend on something else to exist. If something depended on something else to exist, then that which it depends on is great. That's right. Greater than it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Greater than it. Mm. So in that sense, if God's existence depended on something else then that which God depended on would be... God. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You know, you, <laughs> so, and the, sec the other thing is, think of properties like love. Mm. Love is great. It's a great making property. Where would you, would you rather love or hate? No, rather love. Exactly. Yeah. So, and if the great, maximally great being has love, he must have love to its perfection. Mm. That's what we call benevolence. Yeah. So if God is, if, if there was someone else who had love more than God, then that would be God. Yeah. Right? This is why scripture says God is love. Mm. It's not even that God has love. He is love. Think about wisdom. The all knowledge and all wisdom. If God had some wisdom and something else had more wisdom than him, then that would be God. Yeah. So if he's the maximally great being, he must have, he must be necessary, must have love to its you know, maximal extent, power to its maximal extent, wisdom to its maximal. These are great making properties. There are more. Mm. Is this still making sense? Yes. So saying, for example, when we say love, the maximally, the, the, the max, the, the perfection, the perfect 
level of love is benevolence. Mm. The perfect lo- level of wisdom is omniscience, knowing all things. Yeah. Like, yeah, God knows what is possible, God knows what is actual, and God knows what is potential. Mm. What would happen? And God knows everything that happens and nothing escapes his knowledge. Mm. So we've talked about, uh, you know, divine omniscience here uh, on the radio before. And so, and if he has power, it must be omnipotent. Mm. Because these are great making properties. And he must have them to their maximal extent. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm just defining what Christian means by God. You, you might, if you disagree with that definition, you have to go, well, hang on a minute. Well, somebody is saying, well, the God I believe in, he is who he is. This is what I mean by him. And these are the properties he has. Well, you, uh, you might sort of, we'll, we'll get to it when we start to look at the objections. But at least you know what the, the definition is. So, so the maximally great being will give great making properties as opposed to lesser making properties. Mm. So great making properties are absolute benevolence, omniscience, omnipotence. Necessity is the greatest of all great making properties because it's not contingent. No. And that's the greatest of all. And so if he's, he's the greatest conceivable being, he won't have lesser making properties like imperfection, corruption, hate, you know, mm. those kind of things. Yeah. So from here on, still doing the definitions, this is great. God would not be maximally great if he was contingent. God would not be maximally great you know, if he depended on something else. And the Bible has this to say about it. Right. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Mm-hmm. And if, if you have your Bible with you, and this is the, the verse I want us to read before we, you know, we, we sort of take a bit of a breather. So if you open Colossians, uh, it's, you know, uh, one of your books in, in, the, in the New Testament. And I was going to do one of my, my jokes. No, but, uh, no. <laughs> You're not allowed to. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, so the book of Colossians comes after Philippians. Okay, Philippians comes before Galatians, after Galatians, Galatians after Second Corinthians. Okay, I yeah. can go from there. Yeah, everybody knows what Colossians is. Okay, well, Colossians chapter one. I'm going to read from verse sixteen. Well, let's actually read from verse fifteen, so we can put. It's the preeminence of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Mm. So all contingent existence depends on him as the necessary being. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or powers, or authority. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things Hold together. together yes. That is necessity right there. That is necessity right there. <laughs> All right. Well, we will take a little bit of a break and, uh, and come back and discuss this a little bit further in a few moments. Yeah. 
All right. So, Samuel, we're back and uh, and we're, <laughs> um, we're still uh, looking at at God and uh, and and that He is the um, necessary n- being. the necessary being yes. and and everything that He has yes. He has it to its nth Much degree. Much smaller extent. Yeah. Yes. So if anybody had more than He had, then well, obviously then that person be would be God. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we we have established quite firmly yeah. that this this is what God is. And when yeah. we as Christians describe who God is, mm. um, our thought that is our thought of yeah. God, yeah. Um, and it's now translating that idea or, yes. or that that knowledge and that truth. To the world around us, yes, because we need to be able to explain yeah. to the people around us that God is true, God mm. is real, God does exist, God yes. did create everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and we have to be able to have that in our toolkit, yes, so that when we have discussions with people, we can bring them to an understanding of who God is. Exactly, and I want to encourage you, you listening listen to us on the radio. You might go, "Whoa, okay, well, Samuel, that's, you know, that's too smart, and that's a." You know, you you smart. Those words are so big. Yes. Oh, you're smart and maybe just God made you that way. No, actually not. No. Uh, When I was growing up, I was told that I couldn't understand complex concepts. Uh, I couldn't talk well. And so I believed I wasn't as smart. And it's not a matter of being smart. The the best way. Somebody said that that, that um, the harder you work, the luckier you get. The more you read, the more you get acquainted with certain things, the more you listen to these things over and over again. Get this program. Send an email to the radio station. Ask for a copy. You get a copy on the podcast mm. and put it in your podcast. Listen to it over and over again. And as you start to listen, go, oh, yeah, I've heard that term before. And things that you know now, you did not know before. Even the word spoon, it was complex when you were born. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. You know, when your first attempt to say spoon might have come out, come out spoon mm. instead of spoon. Mm. You know, uh, my my son first attempt to say fish washer came out uh, fuita. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, that's a big word for a little kid. Exactly. Mm. His first attempt to say fish washer, which mm. you can say with ease, easiness, it came out fuita. My sec, my 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 other girl, a first attempt to fish washer. Came out being um, Fisher. Mm. See, see what I mean. And she still calls it Fisher. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> become the name yeah. in our house. One is called the same item is called Fuita and Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like anything, isn't it? Um, yeah. The more you study it, the more you get um, yeah. your head around it, yeah. the more you're able to understand it yeah. and then be able to converse with somebody else yeah. around that subject as well. What I deplore is many Christians just espoused anti-intellectualism. Mm. So that if they heard a sermon that was hard, they switch off. Yeah, I see this all the time. I'll was, I was start to speak on particular things and I could see just the congregation switch off. They're not going to go, okay, hang on a minute, all right, okay. And sometimes I want to stage it slowly, slowly until people get there. But if once you start to just go, let's well, say, notch up, that's it. I have, to, I have to confess that when I first came, that was the thing that blew me away. I'm looking at it, I'm listening to you, and, and, and it was like all the light bulbs were going off. And I'm going, <laughs> oh, my goodness, I've never seen it like that. I've never heard it like that, yeah, never heard yeah. it explained like that. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. And, yeah, no, I, I can't fall asleep when you're, <laughs> when you're preaching. It's something uh, that's uh, yeah, I, no, I appreciate fantastic. that. That's good. That's mm. wonderful. Um, so we finished off by reading Colossians. We did. Which... Uh, Basically showed us that by him, for him, and through him, all things were made. So he's the first uncaused 
cause of everything. Mm. He's the first or the unmoved mover. He moves everything and is not moved by anything. All right? He caused everything, brought everything into being, brought everything into existence. So, and this is why, why Apostle Paul, you know, speaking on the Arapagus, said, In him we live, we move and have our being. Mm. Like even the natural being itself is God. Actually, some philosophers say, you know, you know, God is, we become. Because there is a time when you and I were not. I'm a contingent being. My existence was contingent upon, of course, God's decision, and then the existence of my parents. Yes. And my parents' existence was contingent upon the existence of their parents. Mm. And you can go all the way back to the first human, whose existence was contingent upon God <laughs> creating them. So everything from trees to quartz to, you know, complex mathematical <laughs> equations to, to molecules, atoms, whatever, you know, dark matters in the universe, everything exist by him, through him, and for him. Mm. Let us sink in for a moment. Mm. Your very existence is for him. So you can't live, you, can't, you cannot live and not live for God. Yes. And yet people have attempted mm. to live all, for themselves. They do it all the time. To live for all sorts of other things and not live for God. Mm. And none of that they take with them where they go afterwards anyway. Think about that. But they spend their whole life on it. All right. So, therefore, God is, is a maximally great being, mm. a necessary being. He exists in all possible worlds. And things like unicorns, because most of, one of the, I was going to say the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but the atheist present, he's comparing the Christian God to a unicorn. Like, that's really rubbish. Mm. The concept of a unicorn itself is a contingent being. So, a unicorn may exist in some possible world, but it's a contingent being. Mm. When we say God, we're not saying it. It's like that Richard Dawkins book when he said, well, look, even if we, as we assume God exists, or if we accept it, then a bigger question looms. Who made God? <laughs> I like the way uh, John Lewis just chuckles, uh, Richard, Richard. Mm. It shows you don't understand the God of the Christian faith. Mm. We're not talking about mad gods here. We're talking about the cause of everything, uncaused, uncreated, unmade, the first cause of all things. So, with that, now every Christian have now understood, we, by God we mean the maximally great being, right? Yes. Maximally great being. Now let me start that argument again. Mm. It is possible that the maximally great being, a.k.a. God, exists. Yes. All right. And if it is possible that the maximally great being exists, then the maximally great being, a.k.a. God, exists in some possible world. But since he's necessary by existence, then if maximally great being exists in some possible world, then the maximally great being exists in all possible worlds. Yeah. Because it's, it's necessary. Mm. For if maximally great being exists in all possible world. Well, then he exists in the actual world. Because the actual world is past part of a possible world. Yep. Make sense? Yep. And if maximally great being exists in the actual world, then maximally great being exists. Now, the way to depart this argument or the, to defeat this argument is not through all the rest of the premises. It is only by attacking the first premise. Because if there is a concept of a maximally great being, 
who is necessary, if that concept is at least possible, then he would exist in a possible world. And if he exists in a possible world, the actual world is one of the possible worlds. Therefore, he exists in the actual world. Therefore, he exists. Yeah. So most uh, people who have you know, attacked this argument have done two things. One, they've either mocked the argument because they don't understand it, or they've said, no, the first premise is not correct. Mm. So they must be able to prove that the idea of God is incoherent, logically incoherent, like a married bachelor, right? Mm. You have to prove that it's either God is, is existence incoherent like a married bachelor. So let's look at some of those objections, right? Yeah. Is the idea of God an incoherent idea? Is the idea of a maximally great being who has all the great making properties like love to its maximal extent, you know, wisdom to its maximal extent, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, power to its maximum. Is is that incoherent? Well, you know, when you look at logic and reason, logic and reason, and also factual matters, don't really depend on how we feel about things. Many people, when I so you talk to them about God, you know, they start to sort of get realizing that this is logically this is going to end up to the point I have to face the fact that God exists they sort of run to their feelings oh look I know this this is right for you uh, you know it's I'm happy where I am well I wasn't describing the state of your happiness no you could even be unhappy God exists but it doesn't change the fact that he exists and it's where everybody is heading at the moment <laughs> yeah they are taking the logical view and, and parking it way, way down the back somewhere yep. and putting their feelings forward. Yep. And their feelings do not make sense. Yeah. And interesting enough, it's, I don't think actually there's some a level of disingenuity. Uh, people are being disingenuous uh, yes. sometimes without knowing. When logic goes into their direction, they're happy to embrace it. Or the facts backs up whatever their feelings are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if facts start to say something different from what their feelings are, no, 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 no. Mm. So the feelings are in charge, and they use logic and facts as a a, a matter of convenience. Mm. But you can't do that. That's mm. not how you, you don't live life like that. It gives you no stability, does it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, is it therefore impossible for God to exist? Most of the people who want to. Uh, you know, attack this idea, have posited what is called the, uh, you know, omnipotence paradox. Okay? Uh, What's the omnipotence paradox? Uh, The omnipotence paradox is the idea that positing is a question. Pardon me. Can God create a stone too big that even God himself cannot lift? Mm -hmm. If he's that powerful, can he create a stone so big that he can't lift it? Well, this particular objection is built on the misunderstanding of what the Christians mean by omnipotence. Omnipotence is not the ability to do any and all things, including things that are illogical. The Bible itself has got a number of things that it says God cannot do. God can't lie. God says he's not son of man, so he should lie. Now, God can't sin. Mm. And he's not the author of sin. No. So... The person who says, well, okay, well, you say God is omnipotent. Can you do this, you know, logically incoherent thing? Well, no, already scripture tells us that when we assert that God is omnipotence, it doesn't mean he can do anything 
There are things that God cannot do because omnipotence, the proper classic definition of omnipotence is to do that which power can logically do. So God can't sin because he can't go against his own nature. No. Now, can God lift, uh, create a stone that is big that he can't lift? Because uh, if he, he can't create that stone, he's not powerful enough. If he can create it and not lift it, he's not powerful. Mm. Well, no, because the question is if it's a nonsense. Yes. It's like asking, can God create a married bachelor? Well, by definition, a bachelor is an unmarried person. Mm. So omnipotence is not going to create, can God make a square circle? Mm. It's a nonsense question. Yeah. So that challenge there falls flat. Oh, God is too powerful. Can he create the irrational, illogical, and in incoherent? Well, no. Omnipotence is the capacity to use power to do that which is logically possible. Mm. So that's the first objection, flat out, knocked out. Knocked out. It's illogical and absurd. All right. Well, we will get to the others after we've just had a little bit of a break.
So you're listening to 105.1 Life FM. And uh, we're going to wrap up this session with uh, a little bit of a run to the finish uh, around what we've been talking about, about God being um, contingent or God being in every possible being, world. Being necessary. Being not necessary, yeah, not contingent. <laughs> yeah, in every possible world. Yes. And, uh, and, and because of that, yeah, you can't really imagine a world without God. Yes, yes. Uh, so we've come a long way, and I want, as a, as a matter of closing, because this is a sort of very uh, highly philosophical argument, I want to go back and start and see where we started from. Yeah, is that, that good? Yeah. So that we can then wrap this up. So we start out by saying it is possible that God exists. Mm. And we found out now it's possible that a maximally great being who has all great making property to their, you know, nth degree, nth degree, yep. you know, perfect extent exists. Mm. Number two, and if a maximally great being, uh, a maximally great being, aka God, uh, exists, if it is possible that he exists, then he exists in some possible world. Mm. And so, if God exists in some possible world, or maximally great being exists in some possible world, then he exists in all possible world. Why? Because he exists by the necessity of his nature. If he didn't exist in some possible world, he would not be maximally great. Mm. He would be contingent. And so, if he exists in all possible world, then he exists in the actual world. And if he exists in the actual world, then he exists. Mm. And so we've looked at, you know, when we say that God is maximally great, We've said he's got great making properties like love to its maximal extent. That's benevolence. We've looked at his wisdom. That's omniscience. We've looked at his power. That's omnipotence. And so we've looked at all those great, uh, at least a number of great making properties. Mm. And so God is perfect. God is just. And if God is just, he's got justice to its maximal extent. Mm. In that sense, the God of the Christian faith is the most mind Bending, but also mind-satisfying God. Mm. Yeah. The concept of God in a Christian faith, even from just a logical standpoint, is a very deep and satisfying concept. And so we looked at that, and then we therefore established here that if somebody is going to say that, uh, yeah, well, look, the concept of God is incoherent, they have to throw a challenge. Mm. So they threw a challenge on the table, and the challenge that was is okay. Well, let's look at the the uh, the paradox of omnipotence, or is is can God make a stone too big that He can lift? He can't lift it. Well, we've established that that question itself is it's an absurdity. So saying, can I be my own mother? Mm. Well, no, because you'll have to be born and then to birth yourself. <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? It's very incoherent. Yes. So you can't ask a question about God that is incoherent mm. and then say, well, well, ask the question about God that was incoherent. You can't answer an incoherent question. Therefore, God doesn't exist. Mm. It's, it's all absurdity. You know? And it doesn't matter. It's like, there's John Lewis, uh, when, uh, when um, Stephen Hawking was writing his book on the theory of everything, trying to find the theory of everything. Mm. And, and he said, he made a statement that because there is a loss like such of gravity, the universe will create itself. And I can see the frowning on your face. It's funny. But this is said by Stephen Hawking, one of the smartest brain they reckon to ever exist. Yeah. 
And John, John Lennox had this, uh, this to say. He says, look, nonsense is nonsense even when it's said by very smart people. <laughs> Well, that doesn't come from me. That comes from John Lennox. <laughs> uh, so he's, true. <laughs> he's, he's a philosopher of science and a professor of mathematics. He's yeah. a smart man. Yeah. So we cannot try to defeat the concept of God by positing some nonsense mm. or incoherent things. Mm. And so let this satisfy you for a moment. If if you want to sort of impress your friends, okay. <laughs> you listen, and who doesn't want to impress their friends? <laughs> yeah. You say, well, look, you say God doesn't exist. I'm going to present to you the ontological argument yeah. and see whether you can, and then you go all through the terminologies and, and show, and it's a, it's a powerful argument. Mm. But what it leads me to is the greatness of our God. When you're a Christian, you want to know the God you worship. Mm. When you're a Christian, you want to actually delve deeply in the nature of the God you worship, his nature of being, his ontology. So that if somebody, like this is why you've heard me say over and over again, whenever somebody says to me, well, there is no God, I look at them dumbfounded, they can see the expression on my face, and say, why would an otherwise intelligent person like yourself say such a dumb thing? Mm. Because if they knew it was, the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, Yes. There is no God. Mm. If they knew it was a dumb thing to say, they would then think, why am I saying it? Now, I'm not calling them dumb. I'm not, no, I'm saying even smart people can say dumb stuff. Mm. What I'm saying, why would you, an otherwise intelligent person, believe in something so incoherent mm. as God does not exist? What evidence do you have? Because it's like you know, people who are non-believers are happy to say they are the smart ones. Yes. You know, Richard Dawkins went around doing what is called reason rallies. And during those reason rallies, all it did was to bash the Christians. Mm. They're unscientific. They're unsmart. They're all sorts of things that can be said. So they've got all the liberty to say those kind of stuff. Now, we Christians, we're going to speak with grace. Okay, We don't want to bash people on the head with your intelligence. But you can at least say, hey. If somebody said to you, well, cars have got only three wheels, or cars have got only two wheels, I mean, you're going to go, hang on a minute. Uh, maybe maybe they know some cars have got only two wheels. Maybe they do. But if your everyday experience has been all the cars you've seen have got four wheels, or at least the, you know, uh, you know it, it, the, the analogy might not work, but it, you see the point. Yeah. You can go, why would you say something like that? It's like the person who said to me, God doesn't exist. I'm like, what makes you say something like that? Mm. Because then, like my, 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 one of my, my, my heroes, Greg Coco, says, anytime anybody makes a claim, it's their job to defend it. Mm-hmm. Oh, God does not exist. I'm like, no, 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 he does. You know, let me show you 10 reasons. And I'm like, why would you say something like that? Oh, there's no evidence for God. I'm like, okay, what evidence have you looked at? Have you reviewed? And what have you found in those evidence that is lacking? Mm. Oh, well, um, um, oh, okay, well, have you reviewed any evidence? Okay, sure. It seems to me you haven't. Mm. What if I gave you five reasons, five good arguments for this of God backed by very solid scientific evidence? Would you be happy to look at it? Well, no, I'm happy with as I am. Okay, well, stop going around saying that there's no evidence because you have not looked at the evidence, and when I wanted to give you some, you didn't want to see it. Yes. So, come on, let's get real. So, in that sense, you know, somebody said anyone who believes there's no God 
or God doesn't exist have got some other reasons than their own intelligence. Yes. To believe that God doesn't exist. Mm. Very often it's a moral problem. Mm. And so we want to remove this smoke screen and then you want to touch the heart. And so that's my, 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 my encouragement to the believers. After we've looked at all these five lines, and then next, we're going to look at all the objections. I've looked at one objection, the omnipotence paradox. When we do the next set uh, in a week, uh, we will be looking at the other, which is the biggest uh, objection uh, that has been propounded against the existence of God, uh, is, you know, the challenge to his benevolence. 